long time no speak, listen. Uh, well, I guess we're speaking, you're listening. Um, a bit Spursy listeners. Um, I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we come to you um, on the eve of our beloved club's demise. Um, the funeral pyre is lit. Um, the black balloons are out. Um, the white flowers line the streets <laughs> all over the world. Um, because uh, after Aston Villa, it wouldn't be surprising if our beloved Tottenham Hotspur died. Well, Conte has been sacked. Uh, Daniel Levy has quit, uh, sold the club. <laughs> we are now owned by uh, Uzbekistan. Yep. They're getting in yep. on it. And um, I figured I'd just cover our bases, buddy, because a lot could happen in the next, like, you know, 24 hours before this goes out. So, you know, exactly. everyone's everyone's sort of pondering what the fate is going to be of Spurs. Like this is the apocalypse that started. Yeah. Um, I mean that, you know, Uzbekistan won the bidding war against North Korea. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, here we are. So that, um, that will happen. Like all of our fans are like, oh, sell up, get out or go somewhere else. And then it will be like, uh, Pyongyang has bought the club. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but I honestly think like by how these fans are talking online, like a lot of them would be like, well, you know what? At least they'll probably spend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all those, all those taxes and money that they take from their own people who live in <laughs> poverty, they've got a bit of it. At least they'll use it to buy a good player. Well, finally we got Hakimi. Yeah. <laughs> Our solutions are result. Like we've got a last, <laughs> what am I trying to say? It doesn't matter. Um, Although I, I very much like, especially post that Villa game, have uh, some kind of, I don't know whether it's empathy or like joint um, shared uh, grievance with the um, entity that is um, Tottenham Hotspur Global Corporation slash Football Club Incorporated, given um, the game and then the press conference after, and, you know, I definitely feel that frustration. So wait, you feel the frustration towards the club or to, or from, to, towards, who do you feel the frustration towards? I'm just frustrated. No, towards the club. <laughs> oh, towards the club. Okay. Yeah. So you're nudging yeah. towards the, um, Barney, is that, an, is that a new hashtag I see on your cap? Yeah. Yeah. My, I'm wearing a hat that, um, I've just designed it. It just says hashtag Enoch out. Yeah. It looks great. You've written it on in tech stuff. Yeah. I just figured, you know, I don't want to give any more money to a, any kind of mass corporation. So I just use what I had. I like the idea that there is a mass corporation selling Enoch out <laughs> merchandise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Nestle. <laughs> Maybe that's buried on the Tottenham website. Like given that we seem to sell merchandise for anything with the Carabao Cup key rings and mugs, mm. um, it wouldn't surprise me if someone was like, hey, wouldn't it be real, like, ironic if we sold, like, <laughs> Enoch out merch in here? I'm sure that's the next step of late capitalism where the club starts selling Enoch out merch. Yeah, and then it'd be good. I'd rate it. <laughs> I would find it funny <laughs> if we did that. I would actually like it. I think Daniel Levy would actually gain some more fans if he did that. He probably would. He probably would. If he went, went down the, everyone hates me kind of... Route. So Barney, should we get into, um, actually I was going to say, should we get into the, the games, but I don't really care so much about that m uh, compared to, um, how are you feeling right now? I feel like you've got some stuff you want to get off your chest. Where, where are you sitting uh, in general on Spurs? Well, I think the way I'd, I'd put it is I feel similar to the, 
darkest days of Mourinho, but there is a difference because Mourinho's darkest days were expected. You know, we're always going to go through this kind of Mourinho is the, um, is the devil. He's going to end up, uh, bagging on the players. There's going to be infighting, blah, 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 blah. Whether this feels more like a betrayal where the prodigal son in Conte coming to returning or well not returning, just coming to the club for the first time yeah. to fix us. And then having evidence of that post, uh, the end of last season where we had such a good run. And I, I think there's just this like real kind of frustration where, um, you know, given his press conference, uh, after the Villa game and the way the Villa game was played was just awful. Um, and the substitutions I thought were awful. They were so immature. I thought the substitutions, like, I just felt they were so petulant of like him just trying to go like, well, look at my bench. I'm going to put them all on. Oh, is this who you want me to play? Is this who you want me to win the title with? Like that's Mm. the, I don't know if I got the right read on it, but it just felt to me, it was very like, I felt it was a little, little tantrum that he was sort of throwing by putting them all on. Absolutely. I think you're totally right. But I think that's what was frustrating me even more that he was chucking this tantrum where he was like, oh, we're trying to come back and win this game. Well, watch this. I'm going to bring on Emerson Royale. So how (laughs) is that going to help us at all? Um, and I'm going to put, um, Perisic, uh, at a wing, at wing, uh, not wing back. He was playing wing back, um, up forward and he's not going to be involved in the game very much after that. It's like, what, what are you doing? Like this kind of implosion of, of, of ego, um, which just ends up reflecting it's, it's bigger than, than Conte, you know, where it's like, well, no, you're actually affecting the club and its fans by having this hissy fit where you bring on all these players that sort of don't fix any kind of problem in the game. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was infuriating. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think I've reached the point now where I'm feeling, I'm definitely feeling frustration and I'm feeling just overall tired. Cause I was mm. like, I thought we were just past <laughs> this sort of mm. stuff. And like, I was feeling pretty excited for, for football to, re- well, for Premier League football to return after the world cup. Um, and I mean, <laughs> the first two games would be pretty grim. <laughs> Uh, pretty grim. Yeah. I've just reached a point where I'm just, I'm just exhausted, I think by following the team. And that includes Conte as well. I'm not willing to have discussions with people unless they are willing to say, yes, Conte also could be doing better as well. Mm. Um, cause if people are just like, no, it's not Conte with the best manager in the world, nothing else. It's like, yeah, but he should be getting more out of this squad. Um, he should be getting better performances out of some of these players. And I think he should be handling himself a little bit better in press conferences and things like that. So I'm not saying he's at fault for the whole thing, but he's definitely now, I think the sheen has gone off Conte in my mind a little bit mm, and mm. I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated by him as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've heard so many different takes about it's um, Enix fault. It's Levy's fault. It's um, the player's fault. No, it's Conte's fault. It's like, well, no, it's none of their fault individually. It's a, it's an amalgamation. It's a multiple effects where all of them, are, all of their efforts or whatever they're doing are resulting in what, you know, we're seeing. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, that's where I sort of get the, you know, dark days of Jose, end of Jose's reign kind of 
feeling because that's how I felt then. I was just like exhausted with it. I was just like, I can't be bothered. This is insane. <laughs> I just want to enjoy watching the team play, you know, and feel like there aren't all these moving pieces behind the scenes. Like mm. this is, uh, should be escapism uh, to some level rather than, you know, having to like think about three parties motives and how they amalgamate. It's like, no, I just want to watch them play and, and be like, if they win, lose or draw, they were there and they put whatever it was that was the best options available up, whether that be effort, you know, to sound like a proper football man or tactics Mm. or players or yeah. And it just doesn't feel like that. Oh, definitely. Like I'm, I'm at the stage now where I just want to be able to enjoy watching my team again. And mm. like, I, I'm not saying that Redknapp is a better manager than Conte being very, very clear <laughs> of that, but just going back to those days where it was like, you know, it was a lot more cavalier, but you could be pretty sure that most games we were going to play in the similar sort of style. Like we'd have our fragilities and they would sometimes get exposed, but very entertaining to watch. And like early potch uh, and, and even mid potch you'd say as well. Um, where it was just like, all right, we know that we're going to play well. We might not be good enough to actually win, um, but it's going to be enjoyable to actually watch the team. And I think it's just kind of, I feel like I've woken up from a bit of like a blackout where I was like, hang on, has it really been enjoyable to watch us at all this season? Like Mm. we've had a lot of games where we've kind of won from like set pieces and things like that. And when you look at it, you're like, it's actually been quite a while since you would go, it's been really, really enjoyable to watch us play. Oh, for sure. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of the last time that it was just a joy to watch us. Like it's been, it's painful. You know, even that, you know, the Brentford game, we came back uh, to draw and we could have won um, with the chances that we had. But again, it, it wasn't enjoyable. It was painful. Oh, it was painful. It was definitely painful. And And that Villa game, that second half, because even going into halftime, I was thinking, to me anyway, it seems like we're coming into the game a little bit more than Villa are. And I was hopeful. I was I was thinking, yeah, I think we'll be okay in the second half. And then that second half football was probably the, the most unenjoyable, the most painful Spurs football that I can remember. There's obviously been worse games, but that none come to mind. I was I was just watching that and it was just not fun. It was like 3 a.m. in the morning. And that is when I think it really just set, settled in that it's like, you know what, this is not, not a fun thing anymore. Mm, mm, yeah, I agree. Well, I, and maybe that's why there's been the reaction that it has, because obviously famously slow starters. And then we had a first half where we didn't concede. It looked like we were kind of starting to move up the gears. And then we come out for the second half and just shit the bed in the most diuretic, revolting, plague-driven way that you can imagine um and so it was so infuriating and then especially then when Conte's chucking his little tantrum and bringing on plays that you're like why 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 now <laughs> like why why are you doing this stuff now this doesn't make any sense yeah uh, definitely and I think what felt really kind of sad about it too was that if you look at Villa's squad compared to our squad if you look at the starting lineups like what Villa player would you take ahead of one of our players like and I'm I'm really struggling like Maybe you could say, I don't know, maybe you would take Bailey over Hill. Mm-hmm. It's one or two players who would be getting into the Spurs team. 
And I know we've had injuries and we're missing arguably our two most important players from this season in Kulisewski and Benton Kerr and our most consistent performers. But <laughs> that team on paper should definitely be beating that Villa lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's where it's sort of, you know, people use that as evidence for how uh, the collection of players that we have, how are they putting in a performance like what we saw versus a team that they are better than, the lineup is much better than. And it's like, well, you know, there's, I mean, I don't know because it's like, what is Conte saying before games? Why do we start so slowly? And then we kick into year in the second half. Uh, this game, there, there seemed to be some kind of adjustment to pushing uh, more on the front foot to begin with. Not that it really did any good. We couldn't seem to get anywhere near the goal. Um, Ashley Young was absolutely smoking us, <laughs> which is, he's 37. Yeah. And he was smoking us. Like, <laughs> McGinn looks like, uh, like Perlo. It was ridiculous. I don't think it's fair to blame it on the ref, but I thought the ref was horrendous. And the awful. early yellow cards to get all of our center backs on early yellow cards. Yeah. That was insane. Cause you yeah. look at those challenges and Mings is doing worse. Every, like Mings is a pretty dirty player in a sense. Like he gets away with a lot. I think the commentator during the game said something like Mings has got the most yellow cards since the start of last mm. season or something like that. But he gets those and he also gets away with a lot before he gets them. Mm. But then it's like Romero gets ball, gets booked. Um, I think Davies as well. Like, we just started getting these cards and mm. having your whole back line on yellows is not good, especially when one of them is Longley and one of them is Ben Davies. And, well, and one of them is Romero, who's an absolute screw loose. So yeah. like, I, I don't know if that completely uh, should be blamed for like how the game went, but I would say that that definitely set a pretty frustrating tone in what it seemed like it was a frustrating tone in the stadium from how the referee was actually approaching that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fact that I can't remember who it was that, um, was it, uh, Bailey that like rugby tackled rugby tackled son when he was, uh, trying to start a counter towards goal. Um, someone did, and they got it. It was nothing. And it was like, well, are you serious? Like, how can mm. that not be a card? But you know, two of our players who did get ball in their tackles were given yellow cards. Like, yeah. Absolutely ridiculous. And was there also one, it, I think it was this game where I think it was maybe Dingo took down Davies or something. Oh yeah. As yeah. well. And it's like, no, nothing. No, didn't see anything. Mm. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> or Doherty on the edge of the box gets taken down. Nothing. Nothing. And this was raised on, um, another podcast. And now I can't remember which one it was. Um, which is that we've got an interim manager in the sense that how is, you know, as much as there was all this kind of uh, hand-wringing around Conte not signing a longer-term contract, and on this podcast we were like, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. And he's got like four months <laughs> to go. Like, why hasn't he signed a contract? Yeah. You know, I I'm assuming it's some kind of leverage for getting the players that he wants. And I don't think that's going to happen. We're going to sign a bunch of Stephen Bergvines who are like pretty good, but not, you know what we kind of need and <laughs> then he's going to get pissed off. Like, I don't understand what the kind of solution is here. Cause, um, we're kind of stuck as we've said before in this sort of adolescent phase of being a big club slash, uh, being a club that promotes youth and, and works them through where we're stuck there. 
and we haven't decided what we are. And so we've got this like big time manager, but then a transfer policy that doesn't match that of City or um, Chelsea. Oh, totally. Yeah, we, we have not converted over to the mercenary method for no for transfers at all. And, you know, people are still saying Conte hasn't been backed at all. And it's like, shut up. He has definitely, yeah, we have has. spent more than what we've spent previously. And mm. we've brought in players for him. We've started bringing mm-hmm. players. We brought in Perisic, who's old man. We got him on free, absolutely no resale value at all. And on pretty decent wages. So not a, a super expensive transfer, but that's not a player that we would have gone for previously. Um, no. Players like Romero, Kulusevsky, Bentica, you can't tell me the players that Conte didn't want. So we have started backing him, but it's like until we start spending a hundred million pounds on a player, people are going to think that Conte isn't being backed. And mm. I just don't see the club doing that. Like, you know, as you said, Conte's got what four, four or five months left on his contract. And if they're sitting down in a meeting, I'm sure Daniel Levy's going to be saying, well, Antonio, look, we'll, we'll give you some money to spend, but we would like you to confirm you'll be here next year to use yeah. these players that we'll bring in for you because you're very specific on who you want. Mm. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like you can't complain about, you know, who's being bought or the squad that you have if you yourself have four months to go on a contract. And you haven't given it any indication whether you're going to sign it. Like the fact that he was talking about, you know, it's a project and we've got to build and it's like, yeah, that's fine. But you haven't signed up for that. So if you sign up for that and then start speaking in that kind of language, then sure. Oh, okay. I'll go along with it. He's de- like, Conte to me is definitely pouring fuel on the fire by not signing an extension here. Because mm. like you say, if he was saying that stuff, but he had an extra two, three years on his contract. I don't think we would even be like, oh, we're in crisis mode. Oh, it's horrendous. We would just be like, yeah, no, this is part of the project. This is part of the rebuild or, you know, Conte's rebuild. Um, It's going to take time. Uh, We're not going to really do that much this year. That's okay. He notoriously does really badly when he's in Champions League anyway. So Mm. it doesn't really matter. But when you're right, when he's saying one thing, which is we need time, we need windows, we need patience. Are you going to be here, Antonio, next year? Mm. Uh, Sorry, what? Uh, next question. Next question. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Like, mm. Commit to one way or the other. Like just go, yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to stick around. I'm not going to stick around. It's what I'm doing. I'm going away or no, I'm staying. Let's actually do this and then stop. Like you'll get the players in. Cause there's no way that mm. if Antonio was like, Hey, I'm going to stay that the club then goes, all right, we're not going to spend and bring more players in. Because then the club has a problem of they've got Antonio who's unhappy on a very big, long contract and he can just start sulking, go all toxic. And then if he was to like get sacked, it would be this huge payout. Yeah, exactly. So there's like, it's a, it would be a losing situation for the club um, mm. to get him into that longer term contract. So like he still has the power in that. Yeah. I mean, if we were like, think of how, I mean, this might be why, uh, Levy or Enik is so, um, well, they've let this run on so long because they would know that if they did sign him to a long contract and then he pulled this, the fans are not going to side with them. They're going to side with Conte and be like, you need to give him players. He's here for this long. If he doesn't get the players, you know, you're going to have to paint you know, what's going to happen. Whether at the moment it's, you know, there's this confusion between who's actually to blame which works for Enoch in the sense that 
not all the heat is on them because people are starting to turn their head on on Conte and go, well, what are you doing? Mm. Because uh, we're playing terribly. It's really horrible to watch. And um, you're seemingly just like pissing into the wind with your um, substitutions. Yeah. I wonder if like Daniel Levy's sitting on like, I don't know, like a photo of Conte in an Arsenal shirt or something. And it's now getting to stage where he's like, all right, boys, leak it. Mm. Leak mm. it. Let's start putting out some anti-Conte press just to just to build it. Because they're in account people will hate Levy always. So they're, yeah. like, they're just yeah. being as vocal as they normally are, but they mm. just, they're just they just reposting the same things. But you're right. Some people are starting to now turn, including myself and, and you as well. We're turning mm. a little bit, at least, on Conte. So it is probably for some like, internal politics to... It's like, all right, let's dirty Antonio's name just a, just a little bit, just a little bit. We don't mm. want to ruin him, but we want to just make him seem not as polished as he is. I, I also, I mean, having watched the press conference, you know, I've heard a lot of people getting angry about Conte kind of presenting himself as this saviour that's bigger than the club and that, you know, he's such a, um evangelical or holy figure that he's he's like upset with being in a club of Tottenham's level. And I just don't see that. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't see that. What I see is someone who's very frustrated and is not sort of having things go the way that they want, but I don't see someone that, that is holier than thou and sort of spitting down on, on the club itself. I don't know what you think, but I, that's not something I've read. I mean, I think like the only thing I get that could suggest that would just be the lack of signing the deal and running that down and being like, meh, I can run this down and I'm in a powerful position here because, mm. you know, you really, I, I, you know, I think you really need me. But I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I haven't in any of like his press conference, I haven't got that opinion. Like he's no. not, he's not pulling Mourinho. I am the special one sort of. Yeah. I haven't got that vibe um, mm. at all. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, like the running down of the contract is kind of classic Conte where it's like, I will have a tantrum and do a whole bunch of stuff if I don't feel like I'm getting what I want. Um, the thing that worries me, especially now that we're in January is that I think we'll make some signings, but will we make the signings that we actually need? Like, why haven't we signed a center back? Like, why haven't we, well, I suppose we got long lay, but it's like, well, that, you know, it's not, he's on loan. He's not like this amazing center back. He's all right. Um, we haven't got a right back. We still, our options at right back are so limited and Conte is allergic to playing Jed Spence. So I don't know <laughs> what the, what the goal is there. And then, you know, also like I've heard a few takes, which I kind of agree with that Brian Hill was sort of just sort of left out. I don't know what the, what the expression is, but he used him as like a scapegoat where it was like, all right, you're playing because Kulisevsky's not, hmm. um, your your particular skill set is not well suited to what you're required to do in this system, and uh, off you go. It's like well, this this young guy <laughs> who's kind of been you know like used. Oh yeah, it's it's a bit bizarre, and I think that links up to what we were saying earlier about the substitutions. Like, it's just a bit like, well, here's my backup, so I'm going to play him. See what you think about this. All right, mm. you force me. You force me. You keep asking about Brian. I keep saying Brian's not up to it. And here you go. Mm. Here you go. Are you happy now? Yeah. And that would be frustrating, like, as a manager to have players that, like, Brian's not up to it. That was very clear. He got bumped off the ball. He did a couple of good things. 
but wasn't a useful, like there was nothing we could do down that side apart from, <laughs> can you believe it, Matt Doherty? You know, who nutmegs someone in the box, but <laughs> play of the game, <laughs> player of the game, but he didn't really, he couldn't do anything that was required of him. He doesn't have the same build as Kulisevsky. He's not the same player as Kulisevsky, but instead of having any kind of tactical flexibility and going to three in midfield um, and, you know, just trying to do whatever you can before the game starts, it's like, no. I'll throw this young Spanish boy to the wolves. Yeah, I'll I'll put it all on him. Even if Conte has, say, lost some faith in someone like, I don't know, Skip, for example. Like, Skip is someone who I still think is a good squad player and has way more Premier League experience than, like, Hill. And like you say, like, chuck Skip in there. Like, just do mm. something different. Like, I think that is really speaking to what is frustrating me about Conte, just that complete inflexibility where it's like, I want to play this way and I'm not going to do anything to, to like have a stepping stone as like a progression to get there. Like, yeah. like it's a thing in branding. Like when you see sometimes these like big companies, they'll like have like a stepping stone logo, but when they do like a huge rebrand, cause they're like, well, we, we know it's going to be a process. We can't just go completely fresh. We've got to have this little one that's in the middle ground, which is heading in the direction that we want, but still some of the old stuff so that people don't go, what the hell is that? Uh, I don't know what I'm even looking at. And I feel like that mm. is kind of like Conte really needs to have some sort of stepping stone approach here where he goes, okay, I don't have the squad that I want yet and we're going to get there, but there are some players which I'm going to have to use in ways that I might not like, but at least it plays to their strengths a little bit more. And therefore we won't just look like this disgusting turgid team when we play. Yeah. I mean, I... I... You know, his comments like, we don't have any creative players. It's like, yeah, sure. You know, Kulisevsky, the team seems to fall apart when he's not involved. But the other two creative midfielders that we had, uh, you got rid of um, <laughs> yeah. because you didn't like them. And it's like, sure, I, both of us were done with Endombele by the end. Both of us were done with La Celso by the end. But they wouldn't have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they, they couldn't were... have been worse than what that was. No, and you even look at it and go... All right, Kane was dropping back a lot and was playing as that <laughs> a creative player for a, a couple of seasons. Uh, but now he's clearly been told to push up and not to drop back and try and get involved and get on the ball because he's not doing that anywhere near as much as as he wants to. Now I know before Conte took over Spurs, like I think when he was a pundit once and he was or he was asked about Kane in some regard and he was like, "Yes, I would play him as a forward, forward in the box. That's all." So when we signed him, it's like, all right, is he eventually going to sort of push Kane into that role? So that might've been coming anyway, but at a point now where we need something, if you go, all right, well, let's try dropping Kane back a little bit. Maybe we'll get Son in over the top because Son's having so much trouble when the rest, sorry, when the opposing team is in front of him, it's like, mm. and he's just becoming like worse and worse. And yeah. we really just need Son in just open paddocks back, like just, you know, prancing around where he just loves it to try and get mm. some of that confidence back. But it's like, all right, no, we're not going to play in a way that would help Son do that. No, no. Cause, uh, you know, I, I dropped him once and he came on and scored a hat trick. So, you know, you can see he can do it. It's like, yeah. well, <laughs> uh, come on. Like, do you think that, um, cause my response to this is no. Do you think Conte will be here? 
in four months' time after having signed a new contract. Um, wait, after having signed a new contract? So he'll still be here in four months. Like the likelihood of him, you know, like he's not going to still be here in four months with a week to go on his contract. Mm. Surely that won't happen. So I would assume that in that four month period, he will no longer be here. Okay. No, no, I, I get you. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause if it's like two weeks left and there's no, no signature, the club is going to be like, oi, mate, no, you're not just going to go and chill for the summer and then decide. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We, that's, that can't happen. We look, look what happened last time. We didn't have a manager for like two months. Um, it was just horrendous. So before the world cup and like, in, you know, previous episode and stuff, whenever we'd spoken about this, I was always like, ah, oh, contact, he'll be fine. He'll resign. It's all good. Now I'm not so sure. Like I haven't seen, I still don't think I've seen definitive signs of him going, I'm going to go, but I just, like we said before, I wonder if he's doing himself a disservice by playing this waiting game when I honestly think that the club would be spending more now if he signed up and committed. Mm. And mm. and so I just wonder if he's too stubborn to turn around and, and you know, <laughs> sit down and go, okay, let's work this out. I will sign this deal, but you must buy me this player, this player, this player. Or you must at least... Mm spend this much on players in January and this much at the end of the season. I want that written in my contract that you need to do that. Whatever. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I'm coming around more to, to what you're saying that it's at this stage, I wouldn't be super surprised if Conte wasn't here at the end of the season, just on like how things are kind of vibing at the moment, not off any specific facts or anything. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, last year we had a similar, you know, he was having meltdowns in press conferences and then it sort of all clicked together and it was all good. And that version of Conte felt more sort of petulant, throwing the toys out of the pram, whether this one feels more like a five-year-old who has discovered ways to manipulate their parents yeah. and it's, it's sort of a lot more targeted and purposeful. Um, and I think you're right. I think they're in this stalemate of the clubs going, if you sign the contract, we'll sign players. And Conte's going, no, sign the players and they'll sign the contract. Oh, and definitely. so they're just sort of stuck there. Um, and, you know, like I wouldn't, <laughs> I don't uh, disagree with Conte being in this fabricated scenario that I, that we sort of invented together, but that, that he, <laughs> that he is skeptical and being like, well, if I sign the contract, you, just, you know, are you going to do it? Like, like you said, put it in my contract that you'll do it because we've seen that before, you know, where Enoch or Levy's promised things that they haven't sort of come through on. And then, then they've gone for, oh, you wanted uh, Hakimi. Well, we instead have signed Emerson Royale. You wanted Hakimi. We found this 16-year-old, Harry Keem. Is this who you were? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this who you're talking He's about? really good. He's really good. He plays for the uh, Bristol City youth team. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the thing is, the player gets caught in the middle there where it's like, um, Harry Keane might actually be really good yeah. and might, might, you know, have potential to become one of the best fullbacks in the world. It doesn't matter though, because it's not the player that the coach has asked for. Yeah. And I think the, the thing that's really frustrating, but we're never going to know these things is that we don't know what the club is saying to Conte behind closed doors. We don't know what Conte is saying back to the club. Like they very well could have gone like, Conte, we'll give you, we'll give, we'll buy the players you want to sign the deal, please. 
sign it. We'll do it. And he's like, nah, even still, I still want to decide. I want to take some time with my family, go to the beach. Um, I don't know, put some stuff on Instagram. I don't know, whatever. Uh, I still want to take some time at the end of the season, regardless of whatever. You could buy me Mbappe right now and I still <laughs> wouldn't sign. Um, I don't think that's the case, but I we don't know what these you know, discussions are, but it's just everyone just seems to assume that it's like, oh, Levy has lied again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we don't know that. Yeah, we yeah we have no idea, and that adds to the frustration where there, there is this sort of guessing game going on of of, of like, well, what is happening? Like mm. it's so unclear. All we see is what happens on that pitch, and what we've just seen was an absolute abomination. <laughs> so it's like, well, we can only assume that what's happening behind closed doors is equally awful, but we don't know. It could be fine. It's also like something we haven't even really talked on that much is the fact that you know Kulisevsky has played so few games this season. I think I saw a stat that he started eight games this season. Mm. In the eight games he started, we've won five and drawn three, something like that. Mm. Also, him and Romero have only played together twice this season. Mm. Or they've only started two games together, something like that. And yeah, it's like we're at a level now where if we have Kulisevsky in, if we have Bentecourt in, if we have Romero in, that team is good enough to sort of paper over the cracks in the players that still are yet to be upgraded. But there's just so much fury that it's like, we don't have a Kulisewski backup. We don't have this. We don't have that. And it's like, it's really, I don't know. It's just really interesting how football has changed so much in, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever. Whereas I don't think back in the day, we like clubs weren't like, oh, we don't have a Berbatov backup. Oh, Mm. we don't have this. But now it's like, there's such an expectation that to compete with Moneybag, City, Chelsea, all that, who just stockpile players for fun, that it's like, unless you're emulating them and you're getting like two quality players for every single position, it's like you're falling behind and you're failing in what the expectation of the fans have. And Mm. from one aspect, I understand it's like, cool, yeah, if you really want to go out and win the title and do that, that's what you need these days because the big teams have, have gobbled all that up. But it just feels so weird that it's like, you know, we're now, it's not, we're not only demanding a really strong first team, we're also demanding a really, really good backup team that by itself, the backup team should be able to like, you know, finish mid table in the Premier League if they were just a standalone Mm. team. So I think it's a really difficult situation just to, to navigate and actually build out a squad like that. Mm. I mean, you know, if you think back 10 or so years, 12 years, in the Fergie United teams, the backup strikers, sure, they had Rooney and Van Persie, but then the backups were uh, Chicharito, Makeda, and Michael Owen. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> they're not, you know, like Chicharito would come on, he was sort of the best of, of those three. But, you know, the other two, like, <laughs> you don't have these, like, unbelievable backups that can just come on and sort of um, change the game and, and are worthy of first-team football. Do you remember that Portuguese player that Man U signed? I forget his name. But, Bebe? Oh, Bebe yeah, yeah, or... yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, like, a beautiful story of, like, you know, where he, like, where he came from and, like, his upbringing and all that and sort of... But it's almost like they just bought a story and then mm. paid a lot for this completely unproven <laughs> yeah. player. And yeah. it's, like, I think as all well, fans don't remember those purchases that other teams have made. So mm. we... Fans at the moment are going, like, why, are, why haven't we bought Pedro Porro for $40 million? Why are we doing that? Just, oh, cheap Tottenham once more. 
But it's like, how many of you actually have watched him play more than against us in a game? Like, do, it's still a lot of money on a player. And mm. it's like, we just have in our minds that all these other teams have never had flops. But yeah. every player that we have is like a bad signing. And I remember for a fact, and this is something we've definitely spoken about before, when LaCelso and like Ndombele signed for us, no Spurs fan anywhere was going, these are bad signings. They no. were going, oh my God, we are going to have this killer midfield in like six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the excitement around that. And I think it might have been, maybe it was Inch, maybe it was Tottenham Depot talking about how damaging those two signings were in the sense that no one predicted that they would be flops like they were. Mm. Everyone was like, like you said, this is amazing. This is going to be incredible. These guys are like, you know, the next generation of midfielder. And we spent, you know, big on, on having both of them. And like, where are they now? They're both on loan. Like, <laughs> and there was a period where Gio seemed like he was maybe a useful member of the team. And then that dissipated. <laughs> and it's like, you know, what do you, what do you even do? Like that, that, I mean, that's football, right? You sign players. Chelsea signed Timo Werner for 50 million and he was horrific. Shocking. Yeah. Um, I would love it if there was a director like, oh, it's not really Guy Ritchie's type of jam, but I don't know, just some English director who's a massive Spurs fan and he decided to make a Sliding Doors movie about what happened if like Gio and Ndombele just became like top 10 players in the world. Like where yeah. would Spurs be um, if that had happened? And mm. I mean, you can play that with so many players over the years and play that game. But honestly, if those players had kicked on and had gone to the level that we were sort of expecting that they would grow to. Like, I, I'm not saying that we would have won a title off that, but it mm. would be a very, very different proposition um, to what we're in now. And also, like you say, like they were damaging transfers because they were expensive and they both didn't work out. And Ndombele really <laughs> hasn't worked out. <laughs> and it's like Napoli might buy him now for half price or like, you know, two thirds of his, his, what we pay for him. So, mm. uh, yeah, I can see you would be a bit nervous about spending 40, 50 million on a player when it's not always going to work out. I was trying to look for a pattern where I could give some kind of macro level analysis on teams that would have had a lot of players in the World Cup, given that City drew to Everton, um, uh, Chelsea drew with Nottingham Forest, Liverpool lost to Brentford. You know, we lost to Aston Villa. But then if you look at just the match day before, City thumped Leeds, United thumped Forest, Chelsea beat Bournemouth 2-0, Arsenal just keep on winning. So that, that that's uh, that's a complete defunct theory. But <laughs> No, I look no, I love I love even fabricating theories, even if there's just a scare of <laughs> evidence in there. On on Arsenal though, like again, if you look at their squad and I don't, I might get berated for this, but like their squad, I don't think they are that much better overall in terms of squad and names on paper than Spurs, but they mm. play so co cohesively together. Like they play like such a unit. They know how to play. They know what their identity is. And I know Arteta has mm. been there for a couple of seasons and they've spent a lot of money, but even the money they've spent, it's, I still think they've overspent on a bunch of their players. Like they don't, they're not incredible, but they're just playing so well as a team. And no one can seem to bloody stop them. Mm. And I just look at our squad, I look at their squad, and I don't see a huge difference personally, but like position to position. But I really just see like 
we really don't have cohesiveness. We don't have an identity. We don't have players that seem to know how to play together in this specific system that Conte wants. Like we have a Basuma star for Brighton last season comes in and now apparently he's rubbish. Like I'm not saying he's rubbish, but like Conte said, oh, he doesn't understand how I, how he wants, how I want him to play and all this. You don't go from being that good to then just being like a bad player um, and a squad player just overnight. Like it's it, without mm. having strict instructions of how you're supposed to play and it being a very, very difficult system for everyone to adapt to. Yeah, uh, you're totally right. I mean, that one is such a mystery as you've got a player that is, uh, you know, as I put this in quotations, but like proven Premier League player who's been successful in the Premier League, who's then moved and you'd think, you know, oh, he's got better players around him. And so he'll, you know, he'll either just stay the same or he'll get even better. And he's gone backwards. I mean, that's been the issue, you know, with the the patterns TM where it's like, initially it was like, they're just trying to learn the patterns so they don't quite have it yet. And then it was like, oh, they get it. And now all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> They've got no idea what the patterns are. They've forgotten all the patterns or it's like the, cause the idea of, of, you know, this kind of tactical nous is that you are so well drilled in the tactics you play that the other side is aware of what the tactics are. They try and stop them and they can't, but that's not the case. It's like teams have cottoned on that. If you just put players around Son and Kane, then we're like, okay. Especially when we don't have Kulisevsky. Mm where then you need to mark Kulusevsky because he's going to supply the ball to Kane and Son. But then that means you can't have all the players that you want to have on those two. Um, and like, the, as soon as that's gone, it's like, we're stuffed. Yeah. Um, I did think it was interesting that in this game, like Villa were playing six at the back. <laughs> They're playing six at the back, like, which is full on. Oh yeah. That is parking the bus to the extreme. Oh, massively. And I think you're right. Like, I think you're spot on with what you're saying. That like, we've, if Kulisevsky's not there, we, we really, it's like we move from being like, uh, in that top level of team that can play Conte ball, not perfectly yet, but can play it okay. We move down into a team that just cannot play that system. Because if we have Kulisevsky in there, it's genuinely difficult for teams to mark up, even if they know what we're going to do. Mm. But yeah, like now, it almost feels like we kind of had the bounce of Conte coming in team still not a hundred percent really like, I mean, any, any Premier League manager has like a team of analysts and all that. And they, they know how teams play, but they haven't played Conte yet. They don't really know what's going on. If they weren't here in like, you know, 2015, 2016, when he was at Chelsea, but now it's like, they've played him last season. They've seen what teams have started doing to sort of shut Conte down. And you know, we get teams like when we play like Chelsea and like Tuchel, just it's like every time we played him, he's like, well, I'll just get Conte's number because I know exactly how to stop him, what changes to make. And that's fine. Mm. And it just seems like teams are just picking up now of like, oh, this is how you stop Conte. And we know he's not going to change. Oh, Kulisewski's out. All right. We're winning. <laughs> we're winning this game. Mm. It's done because he's not going to change. And we know how to stop Spurs system. Exactly. There was also this sort of weird... You know, sometimes when, um, you're playing sort of turgid ball and you're getting, you know, five meters outside the opposition box and you're passing it around and nothing's really happening, players start taking pot shots. And sometimes, you know, it, that could be extremely frustrating because they put it into Rosette, but that wasn't happening. 
And it was like, you know, like the players weren't doing that. They weren't feeling like they could do it. You know, they had to get it to Kane or Son to take a shot. And I'm not saying that I want um, Ben. Actually, Ben Davies is quite a good shot. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say him, but um, I don't want um, Emerson Royale out there taking um, pot shots at goal. But like, there is this weird, they're obviously playing the system and they're playing by the rules that Conte set them to play in. But there needs to be some kind of break in that system to have some surprise for the opposition. Like bring back the days of Pochettino warming up in a, um, against Arsenal at the Emirates, warming up in a four and then playing a three at the back. Oh, like yeah. Bring back the, the fun. Let's get some decoys going. Yeah, let's get some decoys. Let's just get some random, like, I don't know, backroom staff member just to suit up and get involved in the warm-up. The other <laughs> yeah. team's like, who's that? Yeah. What's going yeah. on there? Just just hire some tall dude, like some six foot five guy getting warming up. Be like, what is, what's going on? Like, why can't we yeah. have a bit of theater and a, a few mind games that kind of happen outside of the game itself? Because there's, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's no rule that says you're not allowed to have someone else warming up with the team before the game. Yeah. I mean, they can just be, you know, if it was ever brought up, you'd be like, well, they're staff. Yeah, they're staff. Put, put Kulisevsky in a wig. Like, just yeah. <laughs> try whatever. Start just trying to, you know, a bit more showmanship. Um, mm. I mean, that could be the stupidest idea in the world. And God, I think it's that. the best idea I've ever heard. But it's worth a shot Yeah, at this stage. Something I was thinking about was a little bit more serious note of like them putting Kulisevsky in a wig and getting a Peter Crouch to start warming up the team again. Still love it. Yeah, um, go on. Is I really do wonder what effect uh, Ventrone's loss has had on the team. And oh, yeah. I don't want to just go back to that and use his passing as like an excuse for us playing bad in games now, but it's something that it's not really spoken about much anymore. Like we, I don't think we've heard um, Conte or any like reporters saying that it's like, oh, there's still this thought that he was such a big presence at the training ground and it's, they're still really actually struggling with mm. his unexpected loss and all that. But given how much the players looked up to him and how much he was a really solid part of that group. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me as well if, if that was still having some sort of lingering effect because it's as well, it's not like he was just a good bloke hanging around. It's like, he was a good bloke who was also like, you know, a fitness genius <laughs> um, mm. who was so active in the, the fitness work of the players. So it's both his presence and the skill set that he had. I just wonder if um, if that might still be affecting players even more than they they realize, or maybe even Conte himself and other members of the staff. Yeah, or maybe they, you know, either it's sort of this um, unconscious or subconscious thing, or or it is a very conscious thing. But you know, the media narrative has moved on from that, and now at the point if the players came out and said, "Well, actually, all really still affected by the death of this really beloved uh, guy," the reaction in the media will be like soft, yeah. you know, like <laughs> excuse. And it's like, well, in, in real life, outside of football, people are affected by grief for long periods of time. Like it's not just, you know, two weeks and then it's done. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's totally viable. I, I wanted to ask you about, um, I, I feel like people are so hesitant every time I've, I've read or listened to anyone talk about Hugo there's a sort of like, wow, well, we've gone down hard on him before and he's come back and he's, um, you know, he always goes through these periods and then he's better. But to me, like that, was it the first goal or the second goal that he spilled? I think it was the 
I think it was the first one. I think it was the first one. But that was, what? That was terrible. Horrendous. That, that was so far out. Not really that much of a difficult shot for a World Cup captain. <laughs> like, mm. So a World Cup winning captain of their club and their national team. It's like, I was, I was just bewildered. And like the commentary team, mm. which I think was uh, Andy Townsend and I don't know. I don't think it was Ped Drury, but it could have been. Um, I just remember Andy Townsend just kept going on. as like, the defenders got to get back. React quicker. React quicker. And I just remember watching <laughs> that and it's like, maybe there's some points to that, but also you've got to be able to trust your keeper to grab that ball from like a 35 yard strike. That's not really that good mm. rather than let it like have it just cannon off his chest mm. right into the path of Watkins. <laughs> and it's another mistake which he's made. And I think that's like three like critical errors that mm. um, Hugo has made. Like three like Chernobyl level errors <laughs> which have resulted directly in goals being scored. Yeah. And like that is pretty big for a keeper. Like, I don't know any other keepers who have made that many mistakes this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even Kepa's not making those mistakes. Well, that shows you a lot. <laughs> and that shows you a lot. I also was very surprised that Dyer got dropped. Like, I, I really thought that, you know, despite the fact that, I, and I'm not surprised because of his form, because he's been terrible. And that, you know, clearance that he did that eventually ended up leading to a, a conceding a goal was terrible. But, you know, a lot of the time players make those kind of errors and then they're in the squad the next week as a show of sort of like confidence from the manager and seeing him actually not, he didn't come on. He like, I was like, wow. Okay. So what's going on there? <laughs> didn't come on with three center backs on yellows. Yeah. And going, you know what? We're going to bring on Skip, Royale, Sessignon, Spence and Saar. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not particularly, none of them attacking players. Really, well, I mean, you could argue like Sessignon and Spence, maybe like, but mm. um, it's not like we've got three forwards on the bench and it's like let's just chuck them on their young kids, whoever. Like, oh, we'll put Scarlet mm. Parrot on. We'll just throw everything at it. Yeah, it's quite damning, especially when you compare it to how Son was just undroppable mm. when well, Son's been undroppable basically all season. <laughs> like, mm. Mm. but yeah, I was I was a little bit surprised that. I think Dyer's form hasn't been great, but at the same time, like Dyer was really good at the back half of last season. Like he was amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Yeah. I was really surprised. And you know, like I just, there's so much frustration around Jed Spence, myself included, where it's like the options that you have are not working in that position. Just play him, just play him. And if he bombs, like it can't be worse than what just happened in that last game. Like it, yeah. that was abysmal. And if it, if it bombs, then you're right. If it doesn't, then you've got a player that you can rely on. Like, then you can play him more. Like, I just don't understand the aversion to play. Like, what must he be doing to stop him from being played when, you know, there are other players? Like, like play him instead of, <laughs> instead of Brian Hill in that position and then Perfect. have Kane drop back and hit balls over the top to him. Maybe he can't, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. No, no I, I agree. And I think that, you know, we haven't seen a huge amount of Spence, but what do we know about him? We know that um, he's quite raw, mm -hmm. but a lot of potential. And we know that he's absolutely jet healed. <laughs> and mm. so that's what other teams know about him too. 
Mm. And it's like, that is a little bit of fear at least to start pushing teams back a bit and go, well, Hey, we can't really commit so far forward, even when we're countering as much now, because if we got Spence on the Spence moving down one wing, Cessna on the other, you've got Son in there. You've got like, there is still a bit of pace going on there. I mm. mean, it, it at least shows a bit of a switch up to, to try and put something back on the other team. Mm. Why why can't you just chuck him on instead of like for Hill? Like if it, if we're down two nil, like who cares? Take a risk and go, you know. All right, fine. Like we're not even remotely in the game at that stage. Like if we were controlling the mm. game still, and it's like, all right, we just need time, and hopefully we'll get back. Fine, but like, yeah, I would be so down with your plan of just like chuck him on, chuck him on somewhere unexpected, throw a curveball to Emery. Well, what's he going to do then? Well, exactly. It's like. Uh... That's what I, I think was so frustrating about, and we just keep on bringing up those damn subs, but like, <laughs> because of how petulant they were, it wasn't like, okay, we're two down. Well, I might as well just bring, um, bring him on and just, we'll just see what happens. Cause at least there is an element of chaos there where they don't maybe know that much about Jed Spence. He's very quick. Even if he gets a long ball and kind of bumbles it into the goal, but then we've got someone else to finish it. Like, let's just try that now that we're two down and looking horrible. Yeah. But we didn't. Like, what What was the what was the purpose of, of any of those subs? I don't understand. I, I really don't get it. And it's, it, to me, I, I, this is where I kind of group Conte a little bit in Pochettino's camp as well, where I remember Poch was very averse to making subs. Like, he wasn't a proactive mm. manager. And I just feel like, what are these managers doing just like piss fighting around on the sideline the whole game. Like you, the way you can really impact a game is by changing shape, making subs. Like the really, that we've only seen it a couple of times in Conte in that game against Chelsea. And what did that do? It completely opened up the game, got us back in it and we get away with the draw. Great. Mm. But we haven't seen him do that that often. And I'm surprised because that shows evidence of like a way at Stamford Bridge, maybe switching things up mid game can work we switch up to a four four two, and then let's switch it back to like, great. We're playing, playing dynamically mm. now. Suddenly the other team, they are having to struggle and adjust to how we're changing. But with Conte, it's just like, no, my tactics are the best, most perfect in the world. I refuse to change them until very late yeah. and my players are tired or I want to send a message. But it's like, just mm. let's see what you can do in a game. Like you're getting paid so much money. Dude, like, mm. do something more. Exactly. I think that's such a uh, good, resounding message. Do something more. <laughs> um, do something more. I set a timer for um, 50 minutes, which is now going off of our whinging. Uh, well, it was mainly for me to get my whinging out. Um, so if it's, uh, I'm, I think we might, should we leave it there? I think we can leave that because we've, we've, we've covered, I think, most of the points for now. There's no real other mm. massive talking points I don't think from the games um, no. that we've covered I think you know like in the Brentford game like it's it's already been covered that like you know some penalty claims that we didn't get and yep. I think we haven't had the rub of the green with certain decisions fine but they're not the most impending things mm. I, I would find it interesting Barty like if anyone has started listening to us throughout the f four recent dump truck episodes it's like, this is, this is probably more close like to what a normal Bitsmersy pod is, yeah. but I would just find yeah. it funny if they had come in now and yeah. then it's just this melancholic malaise of like, yeah. oh, I'm not so sure about Conte anymore. Well, I think that's the, that's the other thing where 
usually I think we try and be at least have a kind of neutral or, or evaluate things, you know, from a sort of neutral perspective. We don't go bananas. We don't get really negative. And then we do four bananas episodes for a World Cup. And then we come back. So if they've started listening, they're like, okay, bananas episode. Or even if they listened to the last one before we did that. And then now like we, we're like, all right, we're back. And it's just this like absolute dirge. <laughs> and then we just come back and like, what is football? What does it even mean? What is the point? What is the, what is the point? I've given up. I'm tired. <laughs> let's just throw in the season. Oh, let's <laughs> yeah. sell this player. What's, why is this happening? We can very much change our, our, our tone. Um, because just very quickly, the next couple of games we have, I'm looking, we've got actually, I think a pretty tricky run. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We play palace, um, in a couple of days. Then we have, uh, I think North London Derby mm -hmm. and that's going to be fun. That's going to be so fun. I'm so looking forward oh, can't wait for that. to the North London Derby on the 16th of January, our time, which would be the 15th of the UK. Um, oh. cannot wait. Like luckily we're at home, mm. but also in some ways. Like if we get pumped at home by Arsenal, like at that point you maybe just have to laugh because that's going to be a new low. Yeah. For yeah. For where we are, um, but then after them we we play City, uh, and then I think we have another team. Then we play City again. So we're gonna play City twice, or we got Fulham in there too, and then City again. So we've got a pretty tough run of games, including two league games against City, Arsenal, Fulham, Palace. Oh, great! More London derbies. Um, mm -hmm. and I think there's maybe a cup game at the end of the month. Who knows if we get through this and start picking up some points and claw it back, get a couple of signings in, everything could be okay. Mm. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, are you feeling positive that that's going to happen? <laughs> no, no. To me, it looks like just an absolute death spiral. <laughs> like if people are thinking it's grim now, uh, yeah. oof, you might just yeah. want to stop following Spurs until like mid-Feb. Yeah. And by that stage, we'll be relegated. <laughs> so you can start. <laughs> Pick a new Prem team. What worries me is that we go into a death spiral, Conte gets sacked or he leaves, and then we do the thing that we're always going to do. We bring back daddy, Pochettino, and then we destroy him <laughs> because of the club. The club destroys him. This angelic figure, this much-loved manager, the most-loved manager of the last, what, like 60 years, maybe, and we bring him back to save us, and he can't. Yeah. I, I'm not positive about Poch coming back, to be honest. Like, I'm not like, I hate yeah. Poch, but I'm like, poor. it was pretty bad, like, and pretty toxic and horrendous football the last six months he was there. Mm. Like, I love Poch overall still, but... I'm not like, yeah, let's get Poch back in. Everything will be fine. Um, it's, oof. It took him a year, right, to sort of get things ticking. Yeah. And what worries me is that he'll come back. There'll be this big sort of, we'll win our first couple of games if he was to come back. Everyone will be really positive and then we'll drop off because he'll be starting to get, you know, trying to get his uh, tactics working, the press and all that kind of stuff. And there won't be the same patience given again. Yeah. It'll be like, no, but you're meant to come in and fix us immediately. And you're not doing that. And so then we will never get the return of Poch because we won't give him the time. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think honestly, mm. if, if, if Conte doesn't work out, I don't think Daniel Levy and Edith are not just going to be like, no, that didn't work out. I guess we better sell. Um, 
but they have geared the club up to be worth a lot more than what it was. Um, mm. and it is a very profitable sale for them now if they make it. And I really think that if Conte doesn't work out, um, there will be so many fans, which will be absolutely livid and no manager on earth could mm. appease them. And it would really just only be if the club sold, got some absolute sugar daddy in, and then any manager could come in and they're like, oh, fine, we'll spend 500 mil. It's fine. It's all good. But I feel like mm. we're at that level that there are so many fans who this is the last straw for them. It's not for me. Mm. I, I, like, fine. like we lose Conte. We, fine. Like, fine. We'll be upset and whatever, but we'll still support the mm. club. We'll still support the team. Um, but oof, that is going to be, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. I think you're right. I think we talked about this when Conte came in, that it was like Levy's dug his own grave, where if it doesn't work, sure, people are starting to get annoyed at, at Conte, but when he's gone, the, the fingers of blame are going to go straight back. And it's going to be like, you brought in this, you know, serial winner, blah, 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 and didn't work. Why didn't it work here? Because of you. Mm. And it's going to be... It's going to be like apocalyptic. It's, it's going to be Ragnarok. It's, yeah, but not like um, not like a fun like Taika Waititi version. No, 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 no. Like a like really grim, <laughs> real grim. Mm-hmm. It'll it, it be horrendous. I think. Well, honestly, we'll have to go just offline for a couple of months. Yeah. <laughs> like we'll still make the pod, but we'll still make the pod. But we're just like, have you checked anything online? No, not at all. We'll just, let's yeah, pretend yeah. we know what's happening with first, but it's better than <laughs> yeah. going on to the trash fire that is the internet when that, when that happens. That's what we've got to look forward to. Can't wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as always, I've been Barney. I've been Dan. And uh, come on, you Spurs. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.